Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Quake Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone! Quake Cooper is the man! Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family friendly and positive, so get involved! Get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. Love it. Love it, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me tonight. I am joined tonight by the trio, the, I was going to say awesome foursome, but there's not four of us. So what's the, <laughs> the tremendous trio? Tremendous trio. Tremendous trio. <laughs> uh, I've got Ando and I've got Rev. How are you both? Great. Thank you. It's nice to be back on. I'm very excited to talk rugby. Yeah, it's been a few few weeks since we've had Rev on. A lot of lot going on up in Queensland and in your life privately, Rev. So... Very excited to have you back. Uh, One thing I wanted to do a little bit different this week is ask you both a quirky rugby-related question, just as a bit of an icebreaker um, and to get into things. A little bit of fun, a little bit of banter. I can tell you my answer already. It's going to be Ryan Lonergan and it's going to be a romantic candlelight dinner. Well, knowing the question I've got in my mind, that doesn't fit anything. So let's get into the question and we'll see if you can somehow shape it into Ryan Lonergan territory. But my question for you both is, if you were to take the role of one person on the Stan Sport rugby coverage, who would it be and why? Now, this isn't a question of who you think you would be better than. It's just who do you think would be fun? Uh, whose role would you personally like to do and why? And oh, who, oh, do you need Rev to answer first so you can try and figure out how we slot Ryan Lonergan into that? <laughs> no, no, no. I think um I think I've got it. It's gonna be Rose Kelly. Okay. Um partly because she's awesome, um, but mostly because she does a lot of the sideline interviews and that way I'd get to interview Ryan Wanigan far more often than if I was up in the studio. <laughs> I see what you've um, done there. But also for rugby heaven, I'd love to be involved in kind of helping to be the um the person in the middle, kind of bringing that all together and having the fun with that show. So Rose Kelly's job I'd love to have. Fantastic. Rev, what are your thoughts? I think if I had to be someone, I'd have to choose Andrew Mertens um, just because he seems to have the most fun without having to be actually called upon all that often. Um, (laughs) And the fact that if Ando's Ros, that means I get to carpool with him to get a McDonald's, I think. So I think that (laughs) happens at least once a season. So that's um, something I'm pretty excited about. So yeah, I think Mertens, he just has a great uh, outlook on on rugby. He seems very relaxed, laid back. I I think that's a pretty cool gig to have, to be able to talk rugby and, you know, Take yourself too seriously. So, yeah, here's my shout. Fantastic. And I think if I was to take over someone's role, I was going to say Rose Kelly as well because I think, first of all, she does such a great job in that role, but it looks so fun to be able to get 
to, and to ask questions to all the players on the sideline. But Ando did steal my suggestion, so I will go <laughs> with Sean Maloney and just say how much fun he makes the broadcast and the way he calls the games is so iconic that I would love to have a crack at it as well. As difficult as it would be, particularly rolling off some of the Moana Pacifica and Fiji in Drua names, but he had, does it so well, he makes it look easy. That's a really good shout, mate. Um, look, as part of me that's wanted to get into broadcasting, not broadcasting, I'm um, commentating for a while. It'd be fun, but with the amount of work when we interviewed him, um, what was yeah. it, last season? Yeah. When he was saying how long the road was for him to get to this point. I'm just not sure I'm dedicated enough. So hats off to you, Shawnee. Well done exactly. for getting to that point. Exactly. And a big shout out to everyone on the Stan Sport coverage. We love what mm-hmm. you do and you've done so well so far in 2022. We're very much looking forward to seeing how the the coverage progresses in the next few weeks. But, well, our hats are well and truly off to all of you. Rev, why don't you run us through our social platforms? Sure, thanks. So you should be getting in touch with us on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, finding us at Facebook at pick and drive rugby podcast, and more importantly, finding us on Twitter for all those weekly discussions and sort of the live feedback through the games at pick underscore drive rugby, uh, where we're chatting pretty, pretty much 24-7. Um, Always a great space to go on and get thoughts in before, during, and after the match. Fantastic. Brilliant. And thank you so much um, to all of our supporters on coffee.com slash pick and drive rugby. Uh, we've had some incredible donations come in, so we're always thankful for it. We do this for love, not money, and all of the donations will go back into the pod. So thanks to Hannah, Jung, JTO, Foz, Ivan, Sheepy, Hugh, Warp, Rugby Sicko, and Egg for their contributions so far. We hugely appreciate it. Back over to you, Mitch. Fantastic. So let's run through the results for Super Brew this week. And I have to say, personally, I was a bit devastated with the result in the Waratahs and Brumbies game, personally, because up until that point, I was I had every game correct and had a few uh, match points as well. So I was hoping for the, the full round, which was not to be. But if we look at who took out the yellow cap, we've got Eric Sens Sisters in first spot, um, followed closely by VDL Rugby 19. And we do have to shout out. We don't always say who's come third for the round, but we, this is a bit of a, a friend and favorite on the pod. So Dale91 from Draft Rugby Boys has come in third. So well Good done you, to him as well. If we look at the overall table and who's winning, uh, who's come up into top spot, we've got halfbacks and halfwits in first place who has come <laughs> up 12 ranks in this round. We then have LRUFC who's in second spot, who's gone up 36 spaces who's sharing second spot with Reds 2000. So together, we've got halfbacks and halfwits in first, LRUFC in second, and Reds 2000 in third, but equal points on second spot. On third, yeah, second spot. All right. This is bloody deadly. I'm looking at where I am, and it's just horrific. Rev, you're sitting pretty pretty at uh, 27th, so that's going Uh, okay. I was noticing Um, as I was doing this earlier tonight, I was looking at... Just the standings and what Superbrew does now, because we have that many people in the tipping comp, which is fantastic, but it shows the top 50 and (laughs) I'm scrolling through, scrolling through. I'm like, oh, look, there's Mitch. Well done. And then Ando and myself don't make a mention. So we'll we'll have to pick our game up in the next few weeks. Part of the problem is I'm loyally picking Natars and because a lot of the games have been somewhat... um, that they've gone to the favourites. I've tried to pick a couple of close um, or surprise wins, and I've just got to remember that you're doing this for the whole season. you just got to go with who, who the um, favourites are every time. 
So I'm sitting at 109th. No, you're at 109th. I'm at 116th out of 123. Oh, I'm higher than you this week. Well done. (laughs) By by not much at all. You really shouldn't. You really shouldn't. (laughs) We're both going very poorly. And I want everyone to know that Mitch's mum is beating me by one place as well. She she does well in tipping. She took out our uh, family comp and our friends and close family comp a few years ago. Uh, two or three times, so she she knows what she's doing. I think it's because she listens to what I say. Uh, that's that's obviously. So, but she actually like does what you say. You, exactly. you just yeah. talk stuff, and then you're like, oh yeah, I'll pick this random too. She listens to the pod, so she takes what we say on the pod and tips accordingly. Whereas we tip with our hearts. But <laughs> is what idea. it is. So what anyway, are we doing enough tonight? about Mitch's mum. <laughs> that's right. What are we doing tonight? Let's go through it and then let's get into it because this is dragging on for those at home. So we will talk about Super W. Super W kicked off this weekend, so round one took place, which was very exciting for uh, the Wallaroos and the women and the women's game in Australia. We then will go through Super Rugby Pacific round three and talk through in detail the three Australian games, and we might briefly chat about the New Zealand games as well. We'll then enter the locker room, and we've had a lot of submissions this week, which is fantastic. So do get those questions and comments in, and we will go through those on the pod and talk through them um, and answer your questions. And then we have the press conference from the Brumbies and Tars uh, tacked on at the end of the podcast. This I'm really excited about this one because this was an away game for us. So we, both Andrew and myself, weren't able to get down to Canberra for this game. I know Sheepy was down there and, and flying the Waratahs flag very strongly all day, but we have to thank Steve Lenthal massively. We've got a man on the ground down in Canberra now and on the inside who has provided us with the audio for the press conference. So very excited to have that available for you all this week as well. Now, I don't think there's much else. Shall we just dive into it? Yeah, let's go. Super W kicked off this weekend, and in a great showing, we got to see some of the, uh, I guess, Spectacular work that women have been able to put into the last few years of not having as much game time. And you can just see the hunger come out in three really impressive games. Um, some really big score lines, some close score lines, and some really nice tries worked in. But I think more importantly, just so impressive to see all these women back in action and, you know, supporting their teams, showing their colours, and, you know, really pushing a case for the Wallaroos with their you know, massive tournament coming up. Um and probably the landmark occasion, getting to see the Brumbies and Waratahs on free-to-wear. So just a mm. massive weekend for uh, women in rugby. I might go through uh, some of the games in a bit of detail. Just, I think the Drua Rebel one, we have to discuss that, 66-5. to Drua came out absolutely smoking, and their outside backs just looked really class. Um, and just seeing that scoreline and seeing some of the, the work that went on with the, the women, that, what did you make of that fixture? Look, it was an incredibly impressive um, entry of the Fijiana and Drua into the competition. The thing that really set them apart in my mind from the Rebels was both the power and the pace at which they were able to play. Um, They had a physicality that the Rebels just simply weren't able to match, but to add it, Add to that, there were their offloading game was just next level. So every single time they're getting tackled, they're just looking for that little pop pass. And if it's not on, they're taking it in. And if it's on, they're almost inevitably catching it as well. Some of the passes off the little pops off the ground were just incredible. Um, number 15, I need to grab the name in a moment, but number 15 for the Indrua were just 
was an incredible player, both pace, power, and skill to be able to be stepping left, right, and center. Great, great game to watch. I really recommend going back to see that. And not to be outdone, the I'd say probably the game of the round, the Waratahs and Brumbies, that was an awesome encounter. I think the Waratahs ended up getting uh, the win 31-17, to 17, but Brumbies had the halftime lead and looked really promising out the gates against a team that has not lost in Super W, which is insane every time I think about it. Mitch, seeing that game, what did you, I guess, have as the biggest takeaway from a, what was a really tough encounter for the the Waratahs women coming out of the blocks? Yeah, I think it was really good to see that the, obviously the New South Wales women started not as strong as the Brumbies women did, uh, but they really started to, as the game wore on, really ease into the game and start to go back to their structures that they uh, played, particularly towards the end of 2021 when they took out the comp. Uh, some of their bigger names came back. So Grace Hamilton got on the field in the 45th or 50th minute. And the moment she got back on the field, uh, she just changed things. And the team started to play with a lot more purpose and, and do things a little bit differently that they weren't doing without her. So it was interesting to see the, just the leadership that she brings to this team and how she's such a talismanic player for them to be able to really go back to their structures and to play the way that they have played for the last three years. I was really impressed with... Uh, Laurie Kramer, number 15 for the Waratahs. And she was kicking goals from the sideline and all over the place. And we haven't seen this kind of consistency, uh, even in Super Rugby in the men's game. There's kicks that she was nailing from the sideline that, that the guys aren't getting. So I was really impressed with her and just the general kicking in, in the field of play as well. I was really impressed. A lot of kicks to the sideline um, for the wingers to score and, and those sort of things. So they were, they were challenging the Brumbies in a lot of different ways. It wasn't all forward play. It wasn't all back play. Um, it was quite a well-rounded game, particularly towards the end from the Waratahs women. Ash Hewson's um, crossfield kick to Jemima McCalman was just next level. Kind of running half backwards against some pressure slash rush D, hooks the ball off her right foot, and it just bounces up perfectly for McCalman, steps off the right, gets in onto the post. It was just so good to watch. Brilliant execution of skill and speed from both of the players. It was awesome. It's so exciting to see the, the strength that we currently have with our wings. I mean, just mm. in the right wing jersey, mentioned Jemima McCalman getting the double, obviously an awesome brace for the Brumbies. Mahalia Murphy getting the late hat-trick to seal it for the Waratahs. But then also I think um, Caitlin Costello, who we'll get to in the Reds, you know, she was a try scorer as well and just had a really great game. So it's exciting for the Wallaroos having this many options with attacking prowess out wide. Um, and I do want to shout out Ashley Houston for kicking the only penalty goal of the week. Um, a nice little stat to add for, for the women's game. Um, We'll wrap it up for the week with the Reds, who, who got home pretty convincingly against the Force, 43-7, to 7, and was a really nice curtain raiser in front of what was probably the biggest crowd, I think, for the weekend, um, just with a lot of the people trying to fill out that game. Um, really a lot of buzz around there, which was awesome to see. And the Force, despite only having the one try, did look really good, I thought. Um, they worked quite hard for their points, and I think it was maybe more a show of how good the Reds' defense was, as opposed to their lack of trying, but um, there's a lot of names to like in there, and Really looking through a lot of the the options I've got. Tamika Jones at eight looks really good for the force. But again, it sounds, I guess, nearly like we're, we're favoring a position. But the outside backs for these teams are just looking really impressive. And actually probably in stark contrast to the men's game, uh, where they didn't quite shine this week, the women really stood out. Um, Avanya Wong was awesome on the left wing. But I think Ellie Draper, um, only 22 years old, really coming into a um, form from a, a really strong touch campaign. Um, being her background, and then a really nice injection from Renee Nonna off the bench. So 
there's a lot to like from this team. I'm very excited to see how they progress. And I'm very quietly happy that um, the Reds are above the Waratahs on the ladder at the moment. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> it might not last that long, but that's it's quite a, a nice Is that like all um, men's Waratahs fans after round one? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, stop the season. Stop the count. We're stop done. Stop the count. Let's yeah. Well, maybe um, as Waratahs fans, we should just put all of our, our eggs in the women's basket and just expect them to, to take it out again this year and be happy enough with that. Mate, we've been saying it for a few years as Tars fans. Just support the women. They're yeah. better than the men. Exactly. Um, one one pretty fascinating thing was the age of Skylar Adams, the playmaker for the Reds. She's 16. Yeah, 16. Crazy. And playing um, in the Super W competition. So imagine her growth potential over the coming years. It's great. The exciting thing for her is having the experience of Cecilia Smith outside her at 12, mm. who's been a real mainstay for East Tigers. Um, and I, I think done a really great job uh, helping them over the last few years. But... Also, I think having um, Melanie Wilkes take the kicking duties from the outside center position, it's really just meant that she can just focus on her game. Pretty similar to what Rishan Pasatoa is doing at the course is, you know, just finding the way to get into the game as much as possible as a young player without much experience and letting other people dictate some of the other roles that might come from a, a typical fly half. So, yeah, really impressed that, you know, she's got this win under her belt because um, it's quite a commanding win. And, you know, to get a start like that at 16, you know, it's... It's ridiculous. It's so, just up and up from the for her as well, which is yeah. exciting. Yeah, so very impressive first week of Super W. Um, and I think the great thing with this, the more people are seeing it, the more people are seeing these great results and seeing that these aren't boring games. There's tries a minute. There's really impressive attack. There's massive hits in defense. There's smart tactical kicking coming in as well. Um, it's just evolved so much over the last few years. So if you're on the fence or if you're thinking, no, I don't need to watch it. I've got enough of a fix of rugby elsewhere. You're doing yourself a disservice. There's some great rugby on. And I think I'm really excited to see how this Fijiana and Drua team goes in the next few weeks. Like That's a really dominant performance to uh, hold the Melbourne Melbourne women's to only five points. Like They're not a, yeah. a, a pushover team by any means. They're the first Australian Super W team to go professional and to pay their players in some capacity. So another news that came out this week is the Western Force are following suit with that and they're yeah. paying their players yeah. as well, which is awesome to see. And hopefully this sets a precedence for the next few years where it's just an expected thing that the women's team, the women's Super W teams from all the other provinces are also paid equally as well. So um, it's really great to see that. But going back to the Fijiana team, to put 61 points over the top of an opposition like the Melbourne Rebels who have been training well and have prepared well and had some really good off-season games. Uh, is a really big statement, particularly for a team that's come together very last minute and into a competition that hasn't played before. Uh, I'm really excited to see how they go throughout this competition. They've got a good matchup this week with the Queensland Reds women, um, and I'm looking forward to when we play the Waratahs women in a few weeks as well. That's going to be in round five, and it's actually going to be away, so it's not going to be in Sydney or New South Wales. So that's that's going to be a fantastic game. Imagine if the Fidiana and Drua team continue with this form and then come up against what by then will hopefully still be an unbeaten Waratahs women team. That's that's going to be huge. So it's very, very exciting. Uh, well, let's wrap up the Super W there, and we'll start discussing the round three of Super Rugby Pacific. Unfortunately, the season did have to continue after round one, and we are now at round three, so the Waratahs are not on top of the table anymore. And we saw a great round of matches across both Australia and New Zealand with some incredible, incredibly tight 
games, both in terms of scoreline and in terms of the contest itself. And where better to start than the Australian matches and what was a piece of rugby history, the Fijian Ndrua getting their first win in the Super Rugby Pacific competition over the Melbourne Rebels 31 to 26. So a huge congratulations to them. Um, why don't we just start off with the absolute basics of how good must it be to be a Ndrua fan at this point in time, Rev? They would just be loving life. I mean, I think the first game to come up against the Waratahs who didn't win all of last year and to get a 30-point loss, it, it would have been a little bit damaging to the ego, I guess, and a little bit you know, of a reality check of this is where we currently sit and what we have to put up with. Um, you know, we've got to hit the ground running. And for them to, you know, regain themselves, get smashed by the Brumbies again, rebuild, regain, bring in a few new names and really take the task to the uh, Rebels and put in a really commanding performance. Their second half was really, really brilliant on so many levels. But I think one of the best um, things to come out of it really was they had less tries scored than the Rebels, if I'm, if I'm counting them probably. It was just they had a really smart kicking game. Teddy Teller, yep. who was injured for the first two games, came off the bench pretty early. Um, and just help build pressure. Uh, kicking over four penalties, really getting the scoreboard ticking. If it weren't for those, the late Ray Nu'u try, you know, probably clinches a Rebels win. And yeah, I, I thought they just controlled the game perfectly. The, the mix of individual skill with um, some, some brilliant strategizing just resulted in a really great match to watch. So yeah, really impressed for the Drua and their fans. And I think a big part of it was, well, something to remember was that the second half was really dominated by the Fijian and Drua. They looked confident, they looked composed, and were just taking the points on offer from, I mean, they had four penalties, 53rd, 64th, 67th, 77th. They weren't trying to stretch the game or run the game out too much in terms of um, high, fast-paced, high-octane, high-energy play. They were playing it smart, taking the points on offer, and putting the pressure back onto the Rebels and forcing the Rebels to chase the game. And as a team, the Rebels have never been comfortable chasing points. They, they're wanting to impose themselves on other teams. And as soon as they had to start opening up a little bit and having a bit more of an attacking style to their match, it, they just looked so uncomfortable. Um, Mitch, coming into this, I think we had really doubted, we'd had questions around the Drua and how they were going to be able to respond. What do you think they did that was just so different to the last two weeks? I think one thing that the Rebels, if we focus on their side of the coin, uh, the thing the Rebels did poorly was allow the Fijian in Drua to play unstructured. And so they gave them the opportunities to run the ball from unstructured play and to get quick taps and to not really be aware of where where the taps were being taken and how quickly they were sort of slow to react in that regard. And the Fijians scored a few quick tries just through purely from taking quick taps or getting quick turnover ball and playing that uh, characteristically Fijian flair, but also the New Zealand style of scoring points off unstructured play or counterattack. The Melbourne Rebels allowed that a lot in this game. And the Fijian Drua thrived on it. And that's something that we haven't quite seen a lot of in the last few weeks is the previous teams have really shut down the Indrua and, and not allowed them to play with that flair and with that space and width. Uh, and the Rebels gave them too much space just by falling off simple mm -hmm. tackles, the tackles early and, and not matching up in defense. And so when the big, big wider players started to make space down the sidelines, 
um, they got a few quick, easy tries off it. Look, I think the defenders beaten stats for the um, Ndrua having 25 defenders beaten to 14 shows a lot of the power that they had within their, um, within their backline play particularly. Rev, you're Kevin Foote. Okay, you're the coach of the Rebels. What are you doing to get your team up after this third poor performance in a row? I'm really trying to find a you know, COVID case to contract within the squad just so we can have two or three weeks off just to isolate. Because the Rebels, as was said during the preview, they've got enough people in their squad to field a really strong 15. The challenge is they've got so many of their frontline players out. Like I think it was four players again this weekend that just weren't contracted Super Rugby players. They've got so many people getting called up last minute. Um, the back line, Carter Gordon has gone from starting at 10, dropped to the bench, now playing at fullback. It's just not like the development you'd want for someone like him to have. And now you're looking at your back line where you've got Glenn Baihu on one wing, Young Tonomapaya on the other, Ray Nuu at centers and Lucas Ripley um, at outside. None of those guys have played 10 Super Rugby matches. You know, like they're a really young, inexperienced group and they just don't have really much to build off from that. The only thing that would keep them going is if their experienced players are pulling up the you know bootstraps and putting in some real hard yards. And Michael Wells and Matt Tamu are not doing that. They're not really leading the team well. So if I'm Kevin Foote, what I'm doing is I'm dragging those two probably and having a massive rev up for them because the young guys are putting in some really solid shifts. There's no one leading them around. I think he has to go back to Carter Gordon at 10 because that's what they... Practice at the start, that's what they were building towards. They named him as the only 10 in the squad. And he's played one of the three matches there. So I think he needs to go back into 10. You keep Tamura at 12 because you still need that experience on there. Even if he's not providing it yet, he needs that rocket just so he can. And you're really just doing all you can. You're paying uh, Wasaki Naholo's uncle to come over and do that massage to Rob Liotta's cuff, whatever's going on with him. You're getting Bonnie <laughs> Parmasuli ready. You're getting Trevor Jose back in as soon as possible. Andrew Kellaway, like, the amount that Kellaway would add to that team just by having an experienced, smart, reliable defender and attacker out there yep. is immeasurable. So unfortunately for Kevin Foote, he can't do anything at the moment other than just try and motivate his leaders to lead. Because um, you could see on the field for 14-0 lead, they looked good for a bit, but then just heads were down and they could not come back from that match, as you said. Then not a team that comes from behind. And that's one yeah. of the things that we spoke about last week as well, is that they're 15. The first starting 15 is manageable like it they're not currently with the amount of players that they've just went through and the injuries they've got they're not quite at they're not at full strength definitely but they're not quite at super rugby level either but then the the second tier the players that are coming off the bench there was some some stat that got thrown up that one of the players made his debut for the rebels who was a i think he's studying as a carpenter or something and has been all week uh, studying and training as a carpenter and, and put the, the Melbourne Rebels kit on this weekend for the first time. So he's not even a fully contracted super rugby player who's prepared well with the team and knows how things are going to well to work. He's some bloke that's playing subbies rugby in Melbourne who they've called upon, which is just such a damaging situation for foot to find himself in. Um, one of the other things I think we also need to be aware of with talking around Carter Gordon playing 10 and Matt shifting Matt to Mill back to 12 is this week they had to do that with Reese Hodge having that one-week suspension. So outside of Hodge, I don't know who else would have played fullback um, this week from the, who, the players they had available. That was probably a stopgap to keep Carter Gordon at 10. But it's such a, it's a rough situation that the Rebels find themselves in. And 
they need to be finding some kind of miracle cure at some point just to get their best players back on on the park because they're going backwards at, at such a rate that not only even when they get their players back, but there's going to be such a psychological burden already on the players that are there. You can see Michael Wells is just absolutely crumpling under the captaincy. Every post-match interview he's given, he's just absolutely fuming. He can hardly answer the questions that Ros Kelly's putting to him. Um, And he's just like, he's just, it's not good enough. The boys aren't doing well. It was boys against men tonight. Like you need to be more sympathetic to the players around you and Lee, you're the captain. You can't just keep throwing everyone under the bus. Look, there's a few different perspectives on that. And I know that you share the same opinion as um, Joey Hoey, that we're, who's involved in our fantasy comp as well, um, where the view is that Wells could be um, more supportive, more encouraging. Yeah, point out the, the flaws and the weaknesses and how they're playing, but also try to be more supportive of the young players who I would, like, are I would coming just say, in. Like, compared um, to, me, we'll, I was just going to say, compared to Jake Gordon last year, and he's, He's had yeah, the yeah, same I message this year and just said, like, we're trying, the boys are sticking together, those sort of things, where he's just been scathing. Yeah, and so I just wonder, there's part of me that likes it because obviously he cares so much and it's good in a way that a player does not is, is not um, trying to hide from the insipid performances that the Rebels have been putting forward. So that's the part of it that I like. But yeah, I actually do agree that, look, there's, there's an element where these, these, these are kids um a bunch of them they're really young they're super inexperienced as rev pointed out with their lack of super um super super game time it's just an uphill battle imagine where things are going to go from here once um, the kiwi sides start traveling again as well it's going to be a bloodbath so i wonder if um if rev as kevin foot is going to need to yeah pull aside the experienced players like michael wells and give them a rev up but also say hey come on be a bit more be a bit more gentle, be a bit more caring in the public view um, in that side of things. But anyway, I think we should probably move on. Because just, are we sticking to this game? No, Can I think I we need to get to quickly throw a question game. to you guys before we move on to the next one. What, is, what practically can the Rebels actually do to stay within games? Like we know that they've got such an injury toll at the moment. They've got such a lack of experience. It was similar to the Waratahs last year. They just don't have the physical ability and know-how how to stay in games and how to win to get those points. What can they do now to try and keep with other teams? Is there anything practically? Can we be the upbeat pod that's out there offering <laughs> solutions and not just highlighting the issues? No, they suck. Um, <laughs> I, I, the problem I is they do. The problem yeah, is they do. I don't think there's literally anything they can do this week other than get their players back. I don't think they've got a team good enough to beat any of the other Australian teams, which mm. implies they can't beat any of the New Zealand teams. I think their best aspect um, to the game at the moment is uh, defense, which has held up pretty well in parts. They've got some really work rate um, players. Matt Phillips been really impressive. Uh, their front row stood up okay. Um, they just they, they haven't been able to make anything click because none of their backline have played together. Yep. Um, and the challenge is they don't have anyone waiting in the wings that can. The one thing that you could try to do. It just if they can't get any other players back this week, is Gordon 10, Tamua 12, and Nick Juice at 15. Just really try to employ as much of a kicking dominant game as possible because yep. Matt Phillips is a good line-out operator. Um, they've been really reluctant to take the shot at goal this year, which doesn't make any sense. Um, they get Reese Hodge back this year, so you can even have him there and just try and fit Nick, uh, fit Nick Juice in somewhere else. But 
it's just they need to try and utilize like in game. They they can't just try and get down there and score rolling more tries. If they're in the area, they get probably take the three and then just defend. It's gonna be like last year where they just have to try and make something happen. But truthfully, I I don't see them winning any matches so they get at least two or three of those players back. Yeah, and even with that, uh, like I would always be saying, okay, let's go back down, let's go back to the basics, get your scrum right, get your line out sorted focus on forward play because that's where the rebels actually have the least injuries. Their front row is still pretty strong. Their reserve front row is pretty decent as well. But if you look at the stats from the weekend, they lost four of their 13 scrums <coughs> against the Drua and the Indrua are not the greatest scrummaging team going around. So the fact that they weren't able to secure possession, that their percentage was 69% for their own scrums was just really really poor so if they can get that fixed maybe do as rev was saying and just focus on a kicking game with a bit of forward dominance they might compete for longer but the score line from this game actually flatters them a little bit they were outplayed and i'm not sure there's much they can do to improve for next week yeah really i would i would pay big money to be a fly on the wall of the rebels uh training room this week just to see what they're talking about and what they're going to focus on because whatever they talked about last week they clearly didn't do it this week all right, let's move on to what was arguably one of the best games of the weekend. For me, this game, the Force versus the Rebels, was the best because of the narrative Reds. and the, uh, Reds. Reds, sorry, Reds, Force versus Reds, um, was the best because of the narrative going into it ahead of time around the Queensland Reds. So the Reds had to spend the entire day traveling over to Perth because they got what diverted through Adelaide or something like that, Riff. Yeah. yeah, diverted through Adelaide for some random reason. Um, spent the entire day traveling and they have a whole host of injuries to frontline players. I mean, Rev, you went through and created a one to 15 out of injured players that, I mean, it was nearly a full team. Yeah, and a good full team as well. Yeah. I was thinking that thinking yeah. if the Rebels had that, they would be title contenders. That's, um... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's a big shame, but they, they came out of it really impressively. Yeah, so the um, Force had some excellent moments, particularly within the first half, and unfortunately lost the game 16-29 to for their first game in front of their fans for the season. Um, it was really a great match to watch. So James O'Connor, I think he's my original rugby man crush, just because of the quality of his jawline and the uh, nature of saviour world. I'm still fascinated by that cult <laughs> or whatever they are. Um, but he had... Probably his best game of the last 12 or so months. Um, he had um, Carl Godwin just on absolute like marionette strings as a puppeteer going, dance for me, dance for me. He absolutely was turning him inside out, left, right and centre, um, taking the ball to the line, threading the pass, doing delayed offload, running. Oh, it was just brilliant. Just brilliant to watch. So now that I've spoken about James O'Connor and just got that little crush off my chest, um, Rev, I'm just going to give you the next 20 minutes to wax lyrical about the Reds and all the reasons why they're the greatest team in world rugby. Well, before Rev starts, can we just say <laughs> the injury toll? What, what's going on there, Rev? Answer that question for us. No, no, no. That's a massive concern for them. I don't know how they've racked up that many numbers, but I'm so stoked that they got the win. Um, and I think that seemed to be the resounding thing online is everyone just talking about the resolve and resilience of this Reds team to come through and just uh, deliver a win like this, kind of against the odds. The Force were the favourites for a lot of people coming into this. Um, but it, it was such a great game. I, I think the thing that can't be overlooked is how much um, hype that was given to Rishan Pasatoa 
um, for being in the Wallabies squad. And Tim Horan got quite a bit of backlash from that, just about saying that he needs to be in there straight away. And while he's such a prodigious talent, I think this week, O'Connor, you know, did the Michael Jordan. He took it personally. And he put on <laughs> the best performance I think we've seen from a Oz Super um, level 10 in a decade nearly. Like, it was so good. It, it was everything you'd want to see from a team that didn't have any of their original captains didn't have anything to build on. And he just saw opportunities and created them seemingly from nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, a decade. That's a big call. I wouldn't say I he's Bernard it. Foley 2014 era, but he was good. Oh, I wouldn't say that either. He's better. Um, <laughs> <and that's the thing. laughs> um, I, I think the thing that stood out, and I, I respect the force as a team because they're putting in a really impressive group of players that you know aren't Wallabies and don't have that many household names, but it's just such a strong contingent. And the Reds were lucky, I think. And they created their luck, but they did not have the better of the first half. They were outplayed. They had a lot of pressure. They defended well, but they gave away a lot of penalties. Like, it could have got really ugly for them. Um, and I think if the Force had approached that game a little differently, maybe taking the points a little earlier, tried to build a bit more scoreboard pressure, maybe the game plays out a bit different. But the way that they were able to counterattack and get those tries against run of play and come into the half with a lead, all courtesy of James O'Connor, I think is um, yeah, just testament yeah. to what a player that he that he is when he's delivering. On top of that, I think just an all-round great game. Um, yep. Awesome moments throughout. I'll let you guys cover it more, but the Reds back row and just inside backs really set the tone for me, I thought. I think what Revs managed to do there is um, wax lyrical about the Reds, but also give due credit to the Force, who made this a fantastic game and a fantastic encounter. Mitch, who were some of the Force players that stood out to you within this game, and what did you think the Force did well? Yeah, I was really impressed with both uh, Bailey Kunzel and Rajan Pasatoa. I thought those two young guys coming in played really well. Have I said the wrong person by your response there? Kunzel uh, didn't play. Kunzel didn't play. What's the uh, Fines Liwasa? Fines Liwasa. There That's we the go. Other one. That's what I'm thinking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not looking at my notes tonight. I'm looking at the screen to see your reaction to things. So, well, glad we picked <laughs> up on that. If I say the wrong name, you know why now. Uh, but yeah, no, I was impressed with those guys. I thought that they there's a lot of expectation put on them and, and a lot of trust by Tim Sampson to name them as the starting team coming up against the Super Rugby AU champs from last year. And they, they delivered. They didn't look out of place. They didn't look overawed by the occasion and they stuck to their structures. And I think overall from the force, Rev touched on it before as well, but just the decision-making at certain times, the Queensland Reds let, uh, gave away a lot of penalties, particularly in that first half. And a lot of them were kickable penalties, but they went to the corner and ended up fluffing the line out or not being able to convert that try, which let the Reds off a lot of the time. and lost a lot of pressure for the Western Force. I think that was something that we've seen this year so far from the Reds is they do give away a lot of penalties, um, whether that's down to just poor work at the breakdown, getting trapped, not rolling away. And that also comes into the issue that they're having with the player injuries and, and having other players come in and the cohesion factor and, and not having that really settled squad going into match days and losing key players early in all their games this season. <clears throat> but the Western Force never really applied that scoreboard pressure and kept the points ticking over, which probably would have put the Queensland Reds under a lot of different pressure, particularly leading into the half and then early in the second half. And then the Reds, conversely, like James O'Connor scored those two really easy tries or set up those two tries in the first half, which were really sort of against the run of play at times um, and 
just made things a lot easier for the Reds than they could have been had the force been able to apply a little bit more pressure. I think one of the concerns or worries that I have about the force is their lack of ability to break the defensive line and to just consistently score tries. Because even if you look at this match, they scored one try and that was the very well set up and well planned chip in behind off the attacking play just outside the 22 that caught um, Jordan Pattaya not kind of coming from the blind side fast enough. But even then, they only scored that because of an incredibly lucky bounce. That just, it was, it was unlucky, bounced super high and back over Pattaya's head when he actually was in position to gather the bounce if it had been anywhere but that one. And so if it hadn't been that, I just, that I'm not sure they would have scored another try. And it just shows that I think there's still some area for improvement within their particularly backline attack. Um, I, I'm just concerned about the ability of some of the players to be integrating particularly well together. I mean, you saw the evergreen Richard Kahui have an absolutely brilliant game. I'm loving him being in my fantasy team, by the way. I didn't think he'd be much of a pick, but he's absolutely smashing it at the moment. Um, Matteelli has had some awesome moments, but also had a fair few dropped balls as well. Yeah. Um, Tony Pui didn't have a particularly good game, missed four tackles um, out of his 10 this weekend. I'm just a little bit not sold on the attacking prowess of their back line yet. Even with what um, Fantanelli Wasa brought on, they're still not gelling enough in attack. And um, I think we're having to speak about them for all the brilliance that they're doing within the forwards rather than in the backs. And I think that's something that will improve because Passatol is still, you know, guiding them around and doesn't have that experienced ability to dish the ball exactly where it should go just yet. But part of the credit, I think, needs to go to Hunter Paisami. And mm. there was two that stood out, but probably three big tackles. But firstly, when he sat down Kyle Godwin, that was a really, really damaging run for the force. And if it had gone, you know, one wider to Pulu, it could have been, you know, havoc for the Reds. It could have been a try. But Pasami raced out of the line and hit him nearly as soon as the ball was in there. It removed any chance of an offload. It was just so dominant and probably took the play back about 15 metres. He did the same for Matteelli's line break, and that obviously ended up in the yellow card. But both players stopped really damaging attacking runs. And one of them, I think, would have been a try. The other one could have very easily been had someone linked up with um, Matoyeli. So there does have to be a bit of credit going into uh, Hamish Stewart, who's done a great job at Inside mm. Centre, but Hunter Paisami, who have really nullified any attacking opportunities. I think that makes it, there's only three tries scored against the Reds in three games. Um, they're really showing that they've got staunch defence. They might give away penalties, but they're not letting you through. And I think that creates a lot of doubt. And when you see two of you, you know, key attacking weapons get sat down, it does create that, you know, that little bit of extra doubt, like, okay, you know, I'm going to pass early just in case. You know, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to get Paisami. I'm going to pass it a little early just in case. <laughs> and it, that does disrupt the flow. So I think the force can improve their attack, but a bit of credit there I'm, I'm going to put towards the Reds defense who've really stood up this year. And I think one thing we've got to also shout out uh, for the Reds is Fraser McWright. Now, with the injuries yeah. to everyone, going down, dropping like flies. At one point, he goes down with a, an ankle injury, rolls it quite badly when you look at the replay. And we, we're all sitting there. I think even you said in the group chat, Rev, you're like, oh, this, this isn't good. This is going to be a few weeks. We can't afford to lose him. But he straps it up and plays the rest of the game mm -hmm. and scores a try or two of his own. So well done to Fraser McWright. And I wonder if he just needs to kind of give out a bit of his 
manner or something to some of the other players <laughs> in the team and say, boys, this is what we do. We strap it up and we keep going. I wonder if, I think the loss of Ukan Sarkailoto and what the, it was the second minute that the injury happened, yeah. but he didn't actually come off until about the fourth or something. Yeah. Um, that's just next. Like James O'Connor did a great job stepping in as captain. And you would assume that if nobody is returned from injury, that O'Connor will probably keep the captaincy for next week, just because even though he doesn't want it, there's like almost nobody left to take it. Um, why don't we go a couple of final comments each before we move on from this game? Um, Rev, anything you wanted to quickly hype up before we move on? I just think, um, as you touched on, for next week, I think we make the captain of the Reds team um, a piece of Lomi Vota, the Fijian Drura outside center. Just <laughs> because if he's captain, there's a good chance he gets injured and maybe isn't as damaging. So that'd be yeah. my shout. How would that even work? I love it. Giving the captaincy to an opposition player. <laughs> would you like them to kick or take the three? Yeah, or tap think... and run. Tap and run. Yep. My biggest concern for next week uh, is that there's no longer any deep heat left in Queensland after the amount that they rolled into uh, Jordan Pattaya's hamstring or calf yeah. at the end of the game. He, there was so much on there. It was, it was just oh. lathered in it. Uh, but realistically, the the injury toll is worrying for this team and they have looked good with what they've got and they've done really well to be three on the trot this season so far. But just imagine what things could be and how much further, how many more points they could be putting on some of this opposition had they had all of their first choice players there. One thing I'll quickly touch on is that um, Harry Wilson is in my mind getting the consistency into his game that was lacking a little bit in 2021. Um, I think I'd said last year that I thought he was a little bit, um, I'm not, I, th- I thought the hype around the him was a little year, bit overstated. Second yeah. Year second slump. year blues. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's really come good like any good band with their third album <laughs> really being the pinnacle of what they're trying to achieve. I think this <laughs> season he's going fantastic, both in terms of work rate, but also the impact that he's making that break that he made coming back in against the tail of the force line out um, and then busting through, but then taking the tackle and then presenting it really well for a quick reload, just maturity, power and speed all into one play. And it was just brilliant to watch. Rev, you, you think they stoked. make him captain next week? <laughs> nope. Don't want him to I don't get no, injured. realistically. <laughs> no, I know no, he doesn't no, want to get injured, no. but no. if James O'Connor is that adverse to doing it, and James O'Connor said in the preseason that his reasons for not being captain weren't so much around the on-field decisions. It was more the prep leading into the week and the, the, the baggage and the extra burden that puts onto him outside of the game. So preparing the team and being that link between the coaches and the players and, that, and being the general around training and things, he didn't think he, he wasn't handling that side of the game well. I reckon if we're looking at Hamish Stewart, I reckon, if... If um, O'Connor doesn't want it, then maybe Hamish Stewart in my mind. How, how many more injuries does it take before James O'Connor says, fine, I'll take it. I will just take it until, until uh, Tate or Liam's back. That's the thing. I'm, I'm hoping that they just you know, keep the captaincy with uh, Liam Bright and Tate McDermott, but then just on the day it goes to O'Connor. And you know, hopefully his you know, load's lightened a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But just on the Harry Wilson comment, I, I just want to touch on three games so far. 40 from 41 tackles, 46 carries. Just yep. Herculean efforts, I think. He, he's really trying to make the most of his extra time in preseason and showing that, yep, yep Rennie, I'm ready. It was really interesting um, getting into a bit of the 
bit of a debate with um, Rugby Reg on Twitter last week. And obviously he sees the entire world through red tinted glasses. Um, but I was just putting forward the case for um, Will Harris. Will Harris, yeah. There's too many Wills and too many Harrys within Australian <laughs> rugby at the moment. Um, Will Harris, because I thought that his contributions were a little bit more impactful last week than um, Harry Wilson's. But those stats that you're reading out and his performance this weekend was absolutely brilliant. And I'm super excited to see him just develop because it means that the Wallabies, the quality of players that we have available and informed for the Wallabies is just fantastic because you've got obviously Bobby Valentini, who is still doing great things for the Brumbies, which we'll get to in a moment. You've got Harry Wilson stepping up and then kind of further down in a pecking order, but still just kind of in the frame. Tim Anstey has been playing fairly well at number eight for the force too. So he's not at the same level as the other two yet, but give him till the end of the season and he may well scrape into a squad. And then for next year, be um, much more in contention despite the fact that it's World Cup year, so probably not. But yeah, it's just great to see that we are getting some depth in positions. Hopefully we can hold on to them at the end of the year um, and particularly even moving forward after the World Cup when we have our natural exodus. But let's move on now to the Brumbies versus the Waratahs. And this was genuinely a fantastic game. Really, really enjoyed it. Both teams played some great rugby and the Brumbies ran out 27 to 20 winners. A late try to Will Harris brought the Waratahs back in touch. Um, Potentially, we'll have the chance of drawing the game. But I got to the end of this match and just had to applaud the Brumbies for the quality of their play and the precision and just kind of the their ability to execute when the opposition made errors. So, Mitch, let's start off with you here. What were your immediate takeaways from this match after watching it? Yeah, we were, I was not surprised with the Brumbies were able to score the points early in this game, and they were really dictating things in the first half. I was really impressed with the Waratahs' ability to score the tries late and to have that late charge um, on the Brumbies and trying to sort of tie things up at the end of the game. Um, I, I probably was a little disappointed they left it so late and we saw it a few times and we've seen it a few times this season so far with the Waratahs. When they get into the opposition 22, unless there's one player that does something individual and breaks a tackle and is able to just bust through and score a try, they don't look like they're able to, or to, to get across the try line and really know what the right decision is. They're still making the wrong decision in the opposition red zone. Uh, but the the drive was there and they were able to keep the, the Brumby scoreless for the, the last 30 minutes of the game and score a few points of their own. I, I do have to say that Will Harris impressed me a lot this week. And as we were saying before, he's um, taken on Harry Wilson's try celebration that we spoke about in the trial <laughs> this year by having the tacky bomb on the sideline oh, after he scored was... his try. Oh, <laughs> they play. stayed on him for way too long whilst he was dry heaving. <laughs> it was bad. He, he didn't know, though. He didn't have the, you know, the get away, get away, cut away, cut away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rough. Um, Rev, watching this game, the Waratahs obviously came back late, but the Brumbies were very impressive early on. Yeah, I, I thought so. I thought they really hit the ground running and more than anything really looked cohesive as a unit and really looked like everything was just clicking together quite nicely. I thought they were helped uh, with Noah Lolasio doing a really great job of helping guide the team around. Their forward back is just ridiculous. On paper, it's impossible for them to play one week without at least half of them being great just because of their great athletes. 
Um, so even if a few of them, you know, drop off and don't have elite performances, they've just got so much talent there. So I thought really led strongly by their scrum, they were able to assert yeah. dominance over Harry Johnson Holmes and Slipper really showed the gulf between, you know, a hundred plus test centurion um, and, you know, a, a one test Wallaby who's definitely well within a shot, but still has a bit more uh, work to you know, apply to his trade. So I think that was probably the big difference, but I think it was even said in the group chat that the Brumbies, while they looked so good as a unit, I think the Waratahs actually had as good or better individual moments. Like yep. Izzy Parisi was a freaking loose play. We saw, and we've spoken about Will Harris's try. I think some of the work that Ben Donaldson did to get through breaks, he had a few errors as well, but he's creating some nice opportunities for a damaging backline. So there's a lot to like. And could we go an episode without talking about Angus Bell, who is the most freakish player going around i mean he's he's as close to harry wilson as you can get in a, a prop which is yep. you know high praise from me <laughs> i've got to applaud the brumbies a little bit for their gamemanship early in the first half as well uh yeah. harry johnson holmes and angus bell were doing quite everything they possibly could to push it push the brumbies grunt front row backwards and they got pinged early for wheeling and then in the second, second or third scrum reset, it's really obvious, even Morgan Turinui pulled it up on the, the stance sport coverage, but James Slipper takes a step and hinges his shoulders or hinges his hips and yeah. um, wheels himself backwards. And then Harry Johnson-Holmes gets pinged for uh, scrummaging at an angle. And you just see Slipper stand up and just give him this little like side eye and a slap <laughs> on the butt and walks off. And, yeah. <laughs> and then Harry's just looking at Tushy like, what are you talking about? I didn't do that. So well done to the Brumbies. They're starting to intentionally um, go backwards on their own ball to get the win penalty. And you know what? That's just that's just the dark arts being absolutely mastered by a professional like James Slipper. That's why we've got to keep him around and make sure he's still here for 2023 World Cup. I'm still fit and firing because you need that. You need that mouse. You need that sm- the, those smarts. That, Smugness. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just knowing the right thing to do and playing to playing to the game and playing to the ref. It's brilliant. Exactly. Um, there were a few players that had some really key uh, involvements. I think for me, one of them was um, Tom Wright and Tom Banks' ability to shut down that break from Charlie Gamble and Izzy Parisi in the second half. So Gamble makes a fantastic, by the way, who had a brilliant game across the whole 80 minutes, and but he made, looking oh, it is looking lush, every week. lush. <laughs> um, but he makes a really good break. And then you watch the coverage again and Tom Wright's defense of this is absolutely perfect. So he stays on the outside, basically between Gamble and Parisi, waiting for Banks to come across and cover the inside man. He fakes going in on Gamble, steps back out. Um, so, Gamble can't make the pass and kind of like slows down a bit and then Banks comes in and clatters him and and eventually I think we get the turnover soon after from Luke yeah, they turn it over. Um, yeah. might, might have made that one and it was just it was just brilliant because I don't think yeah Gamble could have given a pass earlier but I think he was trying to draw the two-on-one opportunity against Wright to then put Parisi away and Wright just played it perfect perfectly it's perfect yeah. defense from the winger there and you can't really like criticize and um, gamble too much on that one yeah and, um, i mean great defense to the brumbies in that set of play yeah, and they did 100%. that a lot and they turned got some really good turnovers right on the line when the waratahs were hot on attack which yeah. ultimately came down to deciding the fate of the game at the end there but mm-hmm. that's another hallmark of the waratahs this season they've been doing so well and they're probably a lot further along the the pathway of 
redeeming themselves for the horrible year that was 2021. But they still seem to lack that final punch or that real knowledge of what to do with the ball when they yeah. make that break, that they don't always have the player there on the hip for the offload or they don't always make the right decision to put the ball through the hands when there's an overlap and those sort of things. So they are progressing really nicely to a team that's going to be contenders in the next few years, but uh, they're still making those decisions at the moment and that will change in the coming yeah, the thing I'm really hoping for is that in those moments and also, I, I guess, I'm not sure if they're like counterattack moments, but you know those breakout moments where a player unexpectedly gets through the line and so you're then having to race to provide support and catch up. It's something that the Reds have been doing really well, the Brumbies do well, but obviously the Kiwi teams, just from a traditional perspective, are... Uh, just leaps and bounds better than Australian teams in a general sense at. And that's something that I think the Tars are going to need to be working on is that ability to um, to just react in the right way, but instinctively as well, um, in those little breakout moments that you're not expecting. Because we're doing well in a structure, we're able to hold the ball for a yep. lot more phases under sustained pressure and retain possession and put other teams under pressure. But we're still not executing on those those little breakout moments. Yeah, which like is as, something as that said, will come in time. Exactly, and then like the players choosing to take the tackle and go to ground, but then there's not enough defense, uh, not enough support yep. there, so it gets turned over, whatever. But yep. conversely, the Brumbies did so well off that that try to Ira Simone is exactly the example of that, where they get yep. the turnover in the mall, and then it goes through about three sets of hands. It goes through Valentini, I think, to Al Alatoa, um, and then Nick White gets his hands on it too to throw a cutout to Ira Simone, who cuts back inside to score. And that's, the, that's exactly what you're talking about there, Ando, which is knowing where to yeah. shift the ball, having the awareness, having the expectation the ball's coming to you, but then you, you know how to keep it moving on the outside as well. Yeah. The one that absolutely killed me was um, the try to Nick Frost in the 36th mm. minute. So that came from a, a turnover um, on like the Brumbies roughly 22 line. Um, and then we did another stupid infringement soon after um, at the line out. And so they just got another penalty kick further down, more couple of phases later to score a try. Wasn't that um, where they kicked it long and then we get ping for Donaldson gets ping for changing his line and yeah, yeah, the actually, that's when it. Yep. He hasn't moved at all and he actually yep. gets pushed in the back <laughs> by Banks. And it's like, that's yep. great sportsmanship yep. from the Brumbies there. But uh, but come you know, on, where's it's, the it's touchy like? And but my, that's my there. point is we, we we gave away consecutive penalties, yeah. right? Um, for small things that yeah they were a bit unlucky, but it's just piggybacking the Brumbies down the field, and they're good enough to execute on that opportunity. Exactly. Whereas the Tars lack that, um, and we're giving away those little moments. Um, all right, Rev. As a non Waratahs fan, any any further thoughts on this match before we move on to the Kiwi Conference? I think the biggest thing I could say for this match is. That was at GIO Stadium, which is, you know, notoriously a hard place to win. I think they said 16 of the last 17 matches against yeah. Australian sides. The Brumbies have won there. So I think there is no reason why when this game can, uh, comes into New South Wales that they can't look at this and think, we've got a really good chance. You know, we were one converted try behind. Um, there were some, you know, some individual brilliant moments. But we, you know, we'll be a better team by then. We'll have played more games, you know, built more cohesion as a unit. So I, I think they can take a lot away from this. I think, you know, the Brumbies are the, the benchmark team. So despite the Reds winning last year, the Brumbies are the team that you want to try and match yourself against just for consistency across seasons and just having that depth of a squad. And they really measured up. Um, I think the biggest takeaway, I, I mean, I love watching this Boratars team. They look really exciting. There, there's players where 
I'm looking at them thinking, oh, I really want to see how these guys go because they're Wallabies players. Or I want to see how these guys go because they could be Wallabies players. Or I want to see how these guys go because they look like they could be really good super rugby players. And there's just a lot to really get behind. Um, I think the only question I have for the whole match, and it, it's not Waratahs based, unfortunately, but did Tom Banks have a good game? And that's, no, I'm what? shaking my head. I don't, I don't think he Rude. did. How? What? Because... <laughs> I see things from him and I'm like, oh, that was good. That, that's what I want our Wallabies fullback doing. And then I see other things and I'm like, that, that isn't good. Why, you know, why, why are we missing that tackle? Or why are we not? Why are we dropping that high ball when it's not why contested and things ball? like that? I mean, it's raining, obviously. That's Hicks hard. It's not but... making touch. And just little things like that. Because he, to me, like, as has been said for over a full season, hooker and fullback are two positions we want to work on. I like what I see from Banks a lot of the time. And I thought his game was good but there's still bits where i'm like is it is is it really what we should be expecting from uh wallaby's fullback so yeah exactly it's like it's not a standout performance that goes that that's clearly the best yeah. 15 in australian rugby night right now jock campbell is hot on his heels at the moment and th- yeah. that's what i want to see is just yeah. banks step it up and have really a season where you know eight times out of ten i'm looking and thinking wow that's a world-class fullback exactly yeah and i think um one of the Conversely, you look at a player like Harry Wilson or Will Harris, who are being more consistent with the quality of their performances. And that is what I guess you're speaking to here with Tom Banks, is that he does have some really good moments. And he is a really good player when he's on the mm. song. I mean, his try last week particularly proved that. He's a really good attacking threat. But you just need that consistency. And I think that the haters of Tom Banks are loud and angry and need to find something better to do with their lives than direct the vitriol that they do towards him because they go way too hard and way too mean, I think, because he's not as bad as they say he is, but he's also got flaws and errors in his game that do need to be improved. Um, So yeah, I think that consistency to be really wonderful to look into. And what I think it'd be cool to do now is we might just pause as we're heading into the New Zealand matches. I haven't had a chance to wrap up my thoughts on the World Tars game. I didn't want you to. (laughs) We spoke about the Tars for ages. (laughs) Okay. All right. Come on, Mitch. Say what you got to say. I just thought uh, we had Will Harrison come back this week. I thought there was a really good combination between Ben Donaldson and Will Harrison. And Alex Newsom has been serviceable in the 15 jersey for the last few weeks. But mm. I think having Will Harrison back there really added a new spark to the back line. And not only was it just the ability for him to be that second playmaker and start into the line and, and show up and, and be that second attacking threat uh, when we get wide, wider ball within the same phase. But also he gave, it, it, it almost sort of calmed Ben Donaldson down a little bit, just knowing that Harrow was at the back there. And so he just started to make better decisions and, and do things better than uh, what he was doing when he had Newsom back there. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting thing to see what happens over the next few weeks, whether DC decides to keep with Will Harrison at the back there at 15 um, and see how that combination with Ben Donaldson does develop over the next few weeks, or he chooses to stick with Alex Newsom, who's been there for these last few weeks, since the first few weeks, sorry, and see how that that situation goes. Um, it'll be, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. But... I think we've spoken enough so far about the Waratahs and about the Australian sites and things. Why don't we move now into the locker room and talk about through some of the questions sent in by our fans.
All right, let's enter the locker room now and answer your questions, the questions from the fans. And the first one comes to us on Facebook from Tim Foster. And he asked, is it too early in the season to say the Rebels are in crisis mode? Absolutely not. Uh, I think they've got a lot to be concerned about and it's going to be going to need to be a pretty significant change in uh, not only kind of their approach to the game, but also in the way that they're communicating in a broader sense with the public and with the team. Um, uh, look, yeah, I think the quality of their play deserves to be in crisis mode, but some of the other stuff around communication is more manageable without having to do a full upheaval of the team or squad. Yeah, and it's such a difficult situation they found themselves in, and we've spoken about it already on this podcast, but it's just it's going to get harder and harder for the Rebels as the season wears on. Like This is the Australian part, portion of the competition at the moment, and if they're not getting any wins here, it's just going to get worse for them when they get into Trans-Tasman or the crossover later in the year. So uh, it it's shaping up to be a bit of a season from hell for the Rebels, but hopefully they can get some players back from injury soon and, and start to turn things around a little bit. And hopefully they can earmark or highlight that count the clash against Moana Pacifica later in the year is potentially something something to get up for. Uh, next next question comes to us from Lincoln Adler on Facebook, and he says the Tars game was hard to watch. Parisi looked good with every touch, but we are in desperate need of a long range punter. Couldn't kick our way out of our twenty two. I could go on ragging on our players, but I will just say Tars defense was good. Brumby's game plan worked on us. As a prop, the way the scrums reft was hard to watch. What are your initial thoughts around these comments, Ando? Yeah, look, I I agree in part in terms of our exits weren't good enough against a quality Bromby side that kept us contained down um, in the corner in our own defensive area. I think that Ben Donaldson does actually have quite a good boot on him, but it, you, you know, I've said it before, he's a young player who's going to have his off nights, and I think it wasn't his best game on the weekend. Uh, and Jake Gordon wasn't getting the clearances or the distance that he normally would off his box kicks. So just from a kicking perspective, it wasn't that great. Maybe having someone like Will Harrison on the field a bit earlier might provide an opportunity for a left-footed kicker to be available to help relieve a bit of pressure too, depending upon where they're uh, pinned in the field. And it's still, it was a difficult situation. It was an interesting situation they found themselves in a few times, the Waratahs, when they were in their own in goal and they kept picking and driving it really close to their own try line just to sort of shimmy closer to the try uh, the sideline for Jake Gordon to get a better angle to box kick like why they didn't once go to Donaldson for a clearance kick so I don't know whether he's potentially got uh, a small injury that is stopping him from doing those clearance kicks something similar happened last year uh, with Mm. Will Harrison wasn't 100% so he wasn't doing those clearance kicks either and they were sticking to box kicks so I wonder if there is something there that's going on that we're just not quite uh, aware of at the moment, but it was it was very interesting a few times that they did choose to go to the box kick over just passing it back to the fullback or the 10 for a long-range clearance. Um, I will also say that it was frustrating to watch those scrums as a, as a former front rower as well because it seemed to go both directions and, and no one really knew which way the penalty was going to go when one team looked dominant, yet the ref pinged the other team. So who knows, but... That is the game we sort of watch at the moment. Um, another question comes in to Facebook from Simon Goff, and he says, Super keen for the Force versus Tars next week. Both sides have been putting in good but still flawed performances. Looks like a pretty even matchup with Will Harris and Tim Ansey looking strong this year and the Aussie back row stock looking solid. If we had to pick the Wallabies back row now, who would it be? But they have to have played this year. So no Hooper, uh, no... Leota. 
Yeah, no Leota. That's the name I was thinking. Uh, Ando, who, who well. would you yeah. be selecting? Um, okay. Valentini has to be in the back row. He's been playing six, so chuck him in six. Wilson, eight. Um, he's the form eight of the Australian competition, so that's pretty easy. And then seven, with Hooper not available, uh, the form seven is McWright, with Charlie Gamble, actually, just, just based purely on form. Um, not too far behind him, so McWright definitely pips him, but... Yeah, Gamble's Gamble's had a great start to the season, so yeah, he's he at really least has. in the conversation. If we were picking it right now, just based upon this season's form and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. And I think at the and McRide has been in the Wallabies for the last two years in the setup, so it would be very mm. difficult for Gamble to just be given the nod to start at seven at the moment, <laughs> yep. considering he hasn't been around the coaches and he doesn't know the calls and the setups and things. But it's great that he's in the in the picture at the moment, and who knows what will happen when Hooper gets back, whether we will see him ever again. But uh, hopefully <laughs> yep. he does get to feature in DC's plans post-season. So uh, another question comes in from Kick the Ref in the Ghoulies on Twitter, and he says, Oz Rugby musing from warm beer land. Will Harris, Harry Wilson, having Will in your name makes you good at rugby. Yeah, can't, can't deny that one. Um, basically, Will Harris... Harry Wilson, Will Harrison. There's another um, Harry Wilson at the Waratahs as well in their kind of development squad. There's it, there's just a gamut of it. So basically just change. If you want to get um, selected into any Super Rugby team, just change your name. Go and, go and change your name to have some form of Harry or Will in it and you'll be yeah. totally fine. Wilson Harry or whatever. <laughs> Willie Harris. Wilson whatever. Harrison. It just works. Uh, Rugby and Stuff says on Twitter, don't didn't get to see the Rebs and Force game this week due to the floods, but seems pretty close. Rebs lacked a uh, lack of depth apparent. Rebs, Reds and Brums, the ones to beat. Force nearly up there. See how we go when the Kiwis are allowed out to play. Yeah, look, I think the Reb, the Rebels' lack of depth is super important, and it's something that we spoke to earlier in the pod. Uh, there's nothing much more that needs to be said there. They were earmarked to struggle at the start of the season, and they're kind of living up to that concern. Uh, definitely the Reds and the Brumbies are, without a doubt, in front of the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, the force, in my mind, I think I said it earlier, they've been, they've been good without being great or very good. Um, their defense is sold, as we always know, the physicality, the breakdown, excellent, still looking for more, like I said, in the attack. So hopefully, hopefully they can work on that. And you're right. We can talk all we want about the kind of inter, no, the derby matches, the uh, inter-Australia matches, mm-hmm. but really the litmus test is when we come up against the Kiwi teams. And if you watch some of the games from the weekend, there are some excellent highlight moments and just the speed of play is a step up from how Australian teams have been playing. So it's definitely going to be a challenge, but one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, definitely. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's just enjoy the Aussie rugby that we have on play (laughs) at the moment for the next few weeks. Old Glory and Tars fan at NRC Sydney on Twitter says, my slight concern is that the Australian teams aren't improving. We saw this this last year. Half teams have to lose each week and that's okay. Okay. But what's the feeling about improvement? Obviously, we exclude the Rebels because they're just diabolically bad. Yeah, look, okay, take the Rebels out of this. Waratahs are definitely improving, just definitely as an organisation. Um, you could argue whether this match on the weekend was better than their previous one, but uh, I just think that for the Reds, their improvement comes in the fact that they're still winning despite even more injuries to key players. So yeah. that's definitely a form of improvement. Um, I'd argue that the Brumbies just continue to 
um, do what they do and do it well. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not sure if they've necessarily improved from game one. They've just continued to be pretty clinical, pretty stout with their defense and pretty ruthless in their attacking opportunities. So is that improvement? I don't know. Well, they're coming or they're finding ways to win games. So, mm. yeah. Mm. What about the force? Are they improving? I'm not sure if they're improving. They've kind of stayed at the same good level uh, in their first three games so far. I think, like I said, the attack is going to be the thing to shift for me. And if they can get that sorted, then yeah, definite improvement. on. The yeah, and I think that's one of the areas that old glory and Tars fan is, or NRC Sydney is really focusing on at the moment here with the Western force. Like this was a prime opportunity for them to really give the Reds a good crack considering that they were playing at home. Both teams had travelled, but the, we know from uh, what you said earlier in the pod, Ando, that the Reds had a disrupted preparation that they got stuck uh, via travelling via South Australia and the layover and all those sort of things. They've had players out injured. They copped the, another injury early in the game, and then Fraser McWright picked up an ankle injury as well. So this was really the chance for the Western Force to put in a really dominant performance and push the Reds right to the end and Unfortunately, they didn't do that, and they came away with that. Um, and and Feliti Kaitu, the captain at the end of the game, was just saying like, we didn't take the opportunities that were presented to ourselves, and we didn't deliver the performance that we wanted to, and we spoke about earlier in the week. So I think that there's a little. This question's probably targeted just towards the force, really. Um, I think the other teams are still developing and are improving week on week. Uh, but the force, we probably would have hoped to have seen a little bit better of a performance considering this was their first game back in Perth for some time. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah, move across to Julia. And she says, first of all, where to now for the Rebels? Uh, and her favorite game of the weekend was the force and Reds. A really gritty win for an injury-stricken Red side. So good to see a winning habit. Where to for the Rebels? Uh, look, I think we've already spoken about that at depth, so we don't need to cover that in any more detail. Um, mm. Thank you, though, Julia. And then I would I would agree. Um, apart from if I take off my blue tinted glasses here, I think that the Force Reds was a fantastic game for what the Reds were able to bring to the table with the adversity that they were experiencing. So the fact that they were so clinical and actually in a way ran away with the game at the end um, is a huge credit to them and kind of the narrative behind it makes it the best game of the weekend for me. Yeah, for sure. Next question comes from Ivan Gavazov on Twitter and he says, the improvements of the Waratahs was good to witness. However, the Brum's ability to contain them was equally impressive. Two foul plays were appallingly overlooked. High shot on slipper by Gamble, high forearm on head in Gav- Ivan's uh, opinion, yellow card, and Harry Johnson home shoulder on head to James Slipper, a red card. Great contest nevertheless. What were your thoughts around these two bits of foul play that were overlooked by the officials? Yeah, I don't remember the gamble one at all. Um, I, I didn't notice it and didn't see any replays of it, so I'd have to go have, have another look. The Harry Johnson-Holmes one, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised I didn't uh, get a second look. It definitely was um, significant contact to James Slipper's head. In the defence of Harry Johnson-Holmes, Slipper was definitely falling He'd already been tackled by another player and had his body height dropped significantly as a result. Mm. And so Johnson Holmes is a second tackler trying to go lower to kind of hit his midriff and then Slipper falls into his tackle. And the problem is that Johnson Holmes ends up clocking him in the head with his shoulder whilst he's trying to make the tackle and like it's clear head to shoulder. Um, so I think in this day and age, he, I doubt he would have received a red card because of the mitigating factors, but it wouldn't have surprised me if it was a yellow. 
um, if if they'd actually reviewed it. I don't know why they didn't. He had to go off for a HIA for it as well, which luckily he passed. There was an interesting example earlier in the Reds and uh, yeah, the Reds and Western Force game with, uh, and I can't remember exactly who the players involved were, but one of the Western Force players was falling similarly into a tackle and the Reds player came in and tackled him and very similarly made contact with his head with the shoulder. And the referee at the time, Fleety Kaitu, who did ask and said, well, what's, are we looking at that? Is there going to be some punishment for that head on uh, shoulder on head contact? And what the referee said, and I haven't heard this inter- or seen this interpretation before, was actually defending the tackler in this instance and putting the onus back on the defend- uh, the ball carrier. And he said, the tackler would have made a legal tackle had your player not dipped into it. So he was doing everything legally. He was going low. He was wrapping his arms. He wasn't going in with high force. Uh, it was unfortunate that he made contact with the player's head. But if your player hadn't fallen over and put his head at that level, it would have been a legal tackle. So this... I don't know if this is just a one-off incident and if this is one referee's interpretation of that outcome or if this has been a, a, a change from Rugby Australia or World Rugby into how they're going through the, the protocol and looking at these types of contacts. That might have been this incident with Harry Johnson-Holmes and the head contact on James Slipper might have been looked at by the TMO and he's applied the same protocol and said, James Slipper does go very low. Harry Johnson-Holmes is basically on the ground. He's making a tackle. Mm. Uh, he can't do much else. If Harry, if James Slipper does go into that contact without falling over and isn't going into it head first himself, Harry Johnson-Holmes probably hits him on the shorts and it's a legal tackle and it's play on. So I do, I do wonder if they have gone through that process behind the scenes and just said, no, it's fine. We've cleared it. We're not going to look at it. Play on. Yeah, who knows? And I guess nothing was said at the time. And as a result... Uh, we haven't heard anything from kind of the match review committee. Um, so it seems like nothing's going to come of it. So I guess we got away with it. That's right. And we yep. will continue to get away with it until they pull us up for it. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Joshua Uvaraj, I'm sorry that I pronounced that horribly wrong, uh, says <laughs> on Twitter, Jock looked more dynamic this week attacking the line, but Rennie said last year he was the fittest and fastest he's been. So I'm, am I missing something? Difficult to see him matching Marcus Smith or Richie or Bowden for line breaking. What are your thoughts around this one? Yeah, I think that um, Rennie's comments may well have just been about kind of general fitness and stuff like that. Like, I mean, he's not slow, but he doesn't have that electric turn of pace that he did when he was younger. Yep. And um, also, I mean, for Marcus Smith is what, 23, if 24 that, or like something? If like that, if that. Yeah. If that, so, uh, look, you can't really compare a 31-year-old with an early 20-year-old for acceleration and kind of agility. It's just unfair. Um, Can you compare in terms of with Richie or... Yeah, with Richie or Bowden, Bowden particularly, um, they're just different players. I mean, for a a large part of the last um, three, four years, James O'Connor, prior to coming to the Reds, bulked up up massively to play at outside centre. And so he's just a different kind of body type to those mm. guys. And the way that he plays is um, he plays it flat to the line. He's been holding the ball in two hands really well, offering that triple threat of pass, kick or run. And when he's running, he's generally looking to get um, kind of through the through the tackle on the outside shoulder and then look for an offload or pass to someone giving him support on the inside. He's not like Richie or Bowden who are going to be able to jink, step and then accelerate again and score the try. It's, he's just different. I don't know. It's just different. I don't, I'm not expecting him to be um, as fast or agile as those players because, I don't know, he's a bit older. He's had a whole bunch of injuries and 
as long as young as he used to be. Yeah, definitely. And there's an, another part of uh, an earlier question. So Simon Goff asked a, a long-winded question. We didn't answer all of it, but one of the points that he did bring up, which I thought was quite relevant to this last question, is his hot take is Jock Campbell... Uh, hold on, sorry, no, I've read the wrong bit. James O'Connor, is James O'Connor just a really great super rugby level 10 and not up to international level? With Lelesio, the best of the bunch, there's not quite ready yet. What do we do with... Uh, so that's the question he's asking, sorry. Yep. So yep. he's saying that is James O'Connor just a really good super rugby 10 and not quite there at international level? And I've got to say, from what we've seen last year and in 2020, I'm starting to think that maybe James O'Connor isn't quite up to it at international level. We have some really yeah. co- big competition for that 10 jersey at the moment. We've got Noah Alessio, who's the young, inexperienced guy that's clearly talented, clearly is a lot faster than James O'Connor, but isn't quite as experienced and doesn't have the knowledge to do the right things at the right time, which we saw again in those first few tests against the All Blacks. Uh, where he was really shown out of his depth there. But when he's not as not coming up against a team as challenging, so when like in that French series, he looked really good at 10. Uh, when we're, James O'Connor, conversely, was very good for the Queensland Reds last year and was very pivotal in them getting that Super Rugby AU title. But then he picked up an injury early in Trans-Tasman and missed the later half of the competition. The Reds team around him sort of fell away with him not being there. But he never really came back and got that form that he had in Super Rugby going into the test season. Quade Cooper shows back up at number 10 uh, on the international scene, gets picked, wins that fantastic game for us against the Springboks. And all of a sudden, now everyone's talking about Quade Cooper and James O'Connor's kind of left out and we're not talking about him in the picture anymore. So I do, I do wonder if, as we've said, is James O'Connor just really good at, at Super Rugby now and not quite there yet or not quite there anymore for international seasons? It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few months, um, particularly like with this your English. Question very well. <laughs> What's that? You've just answered your question very well. Yeah it'll, be, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next few months, particularly with this England series coming down and whether Dave Rennie does give more time to Noel Alessio with James O'Connor potentially being that backup option because we, we don't know if Quade Cooper will be available for that series. Um, and then leading into the end of the year, if he if Quade Cooper is shaping as that first choice with Noel Alessio at second choice, that might leave James O'Connor as third choice. Yeah, look, it's it's interesting because at this point, I just don't believe that Noel Alessio is ready for regular international rugby. Um, he still isn't dominating at a um, super rugby level. And because of that, what's to say that he's going to dominate at the international level or be um, really, really capable at an international level. Whereas James O'Connor at this current point in time, at least is the form 10 of the competition for us yep. um, with, without a shadow of a doubt. And like you said, his um, subpar performances in internationals last year were because he was coming back from injury and just didn't have consistent game time to get back into form. And that was an injury that it was his groin, wasn't it? Something yeah. that's, and it stretched for longer, like weeks Yeah, I think longer he re-injured it again as well. To. So yeah. it ended up being a lot longer yeah. than his And so when we consider that, when we consider that, it's, it's not that he's not good enough to be an international 10. I just don't think he's had the opportunity yet to prove himself as an international 10 yeah. because early in his career when Robbie Deans threw him in again against the British and Irish Lions he was not a 10 yep. but now he's developed the skill set he's had a couple of really good seasons at super level to um, kind of bed himself down in that position and I really hope that this is the year in a season that we get to see him have consistency both for the Reds 
injury free and then for the Wallabies because if he continues this form then he should be first picked for the Wallabies and then Quade Cooper and um, Noah Lulisiu are battling it out for that second spot. Yeah, exactly. And and we'll be very interesting to see once we get to the second half of Super Rugby Pacific with that Trans-Tasman crossover just to see if he is still able to carve up and perform as well as he is now against the Australian opposition. Um, against I think, New Zealand, yep. Uh, well, I mean, he's now playing well against Australian opposition. Let's see if he's uh, going to play yep, that yep, well yep, against yep, yep. the New Zealand opposition. Um, but anyway, I think that sort of ties us up for the locker room for this week. And I think we're pretty much done for the podcast tonight. Well, thank you so much. And everybody, if you got to this part of the pod, absolutely love your dedication. Apologies that it's out of daylight. Our computer decided to just be very, very special and um, make us record some some of the parts again. So it's been an absolute pleasure to be here with you for the second round, Mitch, and uh, look yes. forward to watching rugby and chatting again with you this coming weekend. Yep, fantastic. And we do have the press conference coming up for the the Waratahs and Brumbies game from Sunday, Saturday afternoon, evening. It's coming up next, so stick (laughs) around for that, and we'll catch you next week. Catch you. Bye. Yeah, mate, very um, pleasing. You know, it was, um, I think, the emotion off the bench in the final whistle showed, um, you know, how, how important that win was, um, you know, for us. So it was a good build-up throughout the week. I think um, everyone in the in, in, in the whole squad, um, you know, prepared well. And, um, you know, off, off, off the back of that, we, we, we put in a good performance. Another really strong start, I think, basically, before you even laid a tackle, you were up 10 nil. It was a huge start. Once again, that's just a, a bit of a focus of the team. Yeah, that was something that we spoke about probably towards the back end of the week, um, is that we wanted to start fast, bit of rain about, so we wanted to play in, in, in the right ends of the field, um, you know, but it was, uh, you know, some, we, we, we put together some, some, some great attacking phases there and, um, you know, gave ourselves some, some, some good opportunity getting up early. As I said, 3-0, do you feel like the team's building? Yeah, I think we, um, you know, we're building nicely. Um, I think the most important thing is just taking it game by game, you know, and um, definitely celebrate this win and then, you know, just move forward to, to our Rebels next Friday. Dean, you're able to make them pay when they made mistakes in, in your red zone. How pleased are you with that? Uh, yeah, no, pleasing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought we had some really good passages there. Look, that they certainly uh, went for that choke tackle focus, um, trying to keep us off the ground and force turnover through through Maul. I thought we you know, adjusted really well um, within the game um, and uh, went more to our pick and drive and... And we're pretty powerful there, um, especially in that passage just before half time. So to go up 17 6 was, was pleasing. Um, some good parts in, uh, in the second half as well, but uh, you know, we know we've certainly still got some improvement in us. But um, you know, it was a really good contest and pleasing to come out the points. Here I try, I suppose, a, a glimpse of what he can do. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, I was just talking to Sybe, the attack coach, about that. So the fact that he was nice and square and took the line on himself. and and uh, wasn't looking for the opportunity on his outside. It was uh, directly in front of him. So he, um, no, I, th- I thought he was strong tonight. I thought Lenny Kitao defensively as well. Um, you know, got his whack back, which is which is good. It's a real strength of his game, and he certainly put on some dominant shots out there. Luke Ryman came up with a couple of pretty big plays mm. late in the piece as well. Yeah, that's what you need from your uh, bench. Um, come on and have an impact, and that's why we selected him, and, and uh, he's done that at training. 
prepared really well and, and uh, transferred that into uh, into a game scenario. So no, he was he was excellent. How was uh, how's the going on with Richard? I know he came back on the field, but uh, any worries going into the rest of the week? No, nah, no issues. Um, thankfully, so the six day turnaround, it's. Um, yeah, he'd be touch and go if uh, if he failed it, but um, no, he was um, he was fine. So hence we put him back on, got the all clear from the from the medicos. The left finger, uh, an ankle injury with it. Yeah, he just rolled his ankle, I think. So um, I don't think it's anything major. You know, he went back out there and and uh, contributed for for ten minutes or so in the second half, and then uh, brought young Pollard off the bench. What do you make of the Tars? Oh, I think the scoreline suggests there's been a fair amount of change um, compared to the same game last uh, last year. So um, no, it was it was a real contest there, and they'll you know as they have done over the last two weeks, um, they'll, they'll challenge a lot of teams. Um, so I'm, I'm whilst I'll be disappointed with losing, you know I'm pretty sure that they'd be <coughs> pleased with uh, with the growth in their group. Um, I think for my guess, because on the sideline there was um, we're probably going to go for a penalty, put ourselves in a good position, probably to take the three. Um, but then, you know, I think they they got a penalty out of that scrum. But I think we we're on the right end of the field, so I'm guessing the call from Onigin there was just to the back out the fence, um, you know, which is what we did for a number of phases. And how happy were you? I mean, first half only 37 seconds, and then your 22 that they got there. Um, I guess how pleasing is that from a defensive point of view? Yeah, I mean, really pleasing, um, especially when it's something that we speak about all week. Um, you know, like we, we, we knew that physicality and defence was going to be huge for us, and when the boys delivered that through the action, um, you know, as a leader, it's very pleasing. So um, it was a good vibe all week, um, you know, and, and, and that vibe came off the warm up, you know. So, um, yeah, just looking forward to progressing and getting better for next week. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Just your overall thoughts after that one, um, a good fight that just couldn't get back uh, in, in the end, what did you make of it? Yeah, I'm proud. I'm really proud of my team. Yeah, um, that's the first emotion. Uh, a little bit obviously disappointed with, with the loss, but we're, we're turning the right way. Like, uh, to come down and against the Brumbies on their home ground in, in the wet, um, to get away with a losing bonus point and, and probably have the better of the last 20 and could even potentially say we we had a chance to draw it up or, or do better. Um, yeah, I'm proud of them and I'm happy where we're at and where we're going. Yes, people look at this Waratah size after you know last year and this year really taking that huge step forward, I guess. Um, what are the main things tonight, I guess, you point, well, you would point to as a continuation of that progress this season? Um, we've been no different the five. What have we had? Three trials and three games now, six games. The boys just have a crack. They're tough. Like how many times we, we turned the Brumbies away off our own try line. I think they had five, maybe four to six more shots at our at our line and we, we didn't buckle there. Um, yeah, that that's the biggest thing. We're just competing and they're tough. We definitely know we've got to put a bit more polish on some things. They they just a little bit more polish their 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 set piece to their high kick game. It was better than us. They got some some penalties out of that as well, and that was effectively the only way they entered our D zone was through was through penalty. Whereas uh, 
we played some good footy, we ran them around. I'd reckon we made more line breaks than them. And, and when it all clicks and we get a dry night and, and we're a little bit more polished as a team, we'll be Maroon. Jake, was that a little bit frustrating that it was penalties that brought the Brumbies down to your end a lot? Um, yeah, points. You know, I think, uh, yeah, probably the most frustrating part was probably the first 15 minutes. But like Darren touched on throughout that game, you know, I think it was 10 points to nil. Uh, 10 minutes into the game and to especially see that fight um, you know and, uh, you know, if you reflect on last year you probably would have rolled over and it could have been 40 to 10 finish um, so I'm really proud of how the boys are sticking in and being tough you know um, one of the, the real threats was their mall and I don't think they scored a mall try tonight um, and that says something in the direction we're heading Is there a sense like more confidence when you're out on the field now or what's, what's different for you guys? Um Definitely more confidence, uh, but we're, f I was about to say the F word there. we're working hard for one another. Um, you know, we tried to pride ourselves on being tough this year, and we're definitely doing that. Um, you know, to play a, a tough Brumbies team down in Canberra, um, which we're disappointed in the result, but um, I'm just so happy with how, how the boys are sticking in there and fighting hard for one another. What was the feel on the field when you guys, I guess, took 31 minutes to kind of get to their, um, their attacking, or your attacking 22? Um, how was the feel on the field during that time? Yeah, oh, you know, it's frustrating at the start. You know, it's rugby. You're going to get some good times and bit, some bad times, but, you know, we worked our way back into that game. Um, you know, we probably need to be a little bit more accurate uh, and, like Darren said, a little bit more polish. Um, but I'm just thrilled how we stayed in the fight there, put ourselves an opportunity to fight at the end there. And Donaldson looked pretty good at fight up. What's he like to play with out there on the field? And what have you made of his uh, first few starts there? Yeah, I love playing with him. He's a pretty calm, calm guy. Got a really good skill set, great catch pass, great kick, and he's deceptively quick. You know, you see him coast through through gaps all the time and it looked a little bit like Bernie Larkin. Uh, he's a really good kid, uh, don't know, and uh, I'm really happy to see the way he's going. I was just going to ask, Angus Bell came off injured. Is he any update on him? I don't know what that was. I think it was might have been a recurrence of his cork. He got a bad cork thigh last week and he didn't train much this week. Maybe he got another bump on that. I haven't actually checked that out. But um, yeah, he has those big carries off those line outs. He's getting a lot of collisions in and around his thigh. So I, I imagine it's that.